Blog Talk Radio. Turn me loose, set me free. Somewhere in the middle of Montana. Give me all I've got coming to me. And keep your retirement and your so-called social security. Swanageddon, the story, sponsored by AV's Waterfowl, W4Hunting.com, and here's your host, Don Swan. All right. Welcome to Swanageddon, the story. First and foremost, I want to thank all of my listeners for tuning in. Really excited about today's show. Have a, a a good buddy of mine. Not only is he a good buddy, he's also a sponsor of the show, Bill Figgy. And uh, I wanted to jump in today and kind of bring you guys into our last season, swan hunting, duck hunting, a few other things in the mix. So without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Bill Figgy. Bill, how you doing today? I'm doing well. I got to tell you, it was good to get to hear some Merle Haggard there because I don't know if you're aware of this, but when you uh, call in to do the show, they hit you with some pretty heavy jazz and uh, Merle saved the day. You can always count on Merle. There's no doubt about that for sure. Hey, Bill, I want to dive right in. I want to kind of hear your side of the story about us kind of getting this yearly hunt that we've started doing swan hunting and goose hunting and all that good jazz and kind of talk about in the beginning how probably in your words i took a few years off your life well we we had it planned but we didn't really have it planned um it was kind of you know when the swans are in when it's you know going right i'll let you know and I just seemed like day after day, I just kept getting texts of other people shooting my swans. And, uh, and you know how it is. You know, it can it can turn off pretty fast. It can freeze up, and those birds can be gone. And I was just chomping at the bit, ready to, to go and hunt with you again. And uh, we finally made it happen. Yeah. Well, first of all, we have to make sure that the listeners realize that it wasn't just that easy to make it happen because I know that I could reach out, call your phone number and say, Hey, Bill, birds are in, get on a plane and you make that happen in 24 hours for sure. But the challenge was that I had a pretty bad injury and a surgery. And, you know, the key to this particular season in hunting in my mind was to try and do it not in two days like we had in the past, but to, to try and schedule it out over four days. And it ended up working out that we got the days locked in, the weather seemed right, and, you know, we, uh, we made it happen. So kind of, you know, why don't you bring us up to speed on, you know, the hunt, how it started, and, you know, how it went down? Well, the you know, we – we planned, you know, everything that we think we can control, but you, you really, it's, it's up to the swans. It's up to the weather. It's up to a lot of things that are out of your control. Um, 
the best case scenario that, you know, what you hope for because of the way the laws are on, you know, although you get two swan tags, uh, you can only shoot one swan a day, and then you need to get that swan checked in. So because of the way it fell with the office being open, ideally we wanted to get swans on the first day so we could get them checked in. Uh, that way the second day we'd, we'd be swan hunting again instead of duck hunting only. Um, and it just worked out. You know, you, you can't count on that. There's a lot of variables, but it worked out that we, uh, you know, we got them the first day and, you know, I can go through that whole story, but that was, that was really what we hoped for is get them the first day, get to town, get them checked in. And, uh, that's how it worked. Cool. Well, you know, you, you, you said it worked out and, and it did work out. It actually worked out better than we had hoped. Um, the interesting thing is that we had to make some decisions and you know, well, you know, but my listeners don't know that I tend to be a little indecisive on where we want to go and where we want to hunt, but we figured it out. We, we, we decided where we were going to go, where we're going to take the boat, not take the boat. We ended up taking the boat, but go ahead and tell, tell everybody kind of how that day set up and what we did and, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Well, the the first morning we we actually we had the boat with us. Um, we you know you had kind of been going off past experience and what the birds have been doing, but it's you know those birds are pressured and it doesn't always stay the same. Um, we ended up loading up all the decoys in the sleds and and making a big push to the other side of a big body of water, and just kind of making ourselves a little tule blind on the edge, and. Uh, it was it was one of those mornings that, you know, it's kind of like you you keep going snow goose hunting, hoping for that one day where the tornadoes just don't stop. It was for swan hunting, to me, it was one of those days. It just, there were swans flying everywhere. It lasted a long time. It wasn't just that first push. It wasn't one of those mornings where they take a long time to leave the roost. I mean, pretty much from the start, you know, legal shooting time hit, wasn't long after that and we had you know there's some way off on the left and here comes some right out front you know there's some landing over there on the right it was just a steady flow of of seeing swans you know not all that were uh coming to us or you know within range of us being able to call them in but it's just one of those dream days there were you know swans everywhere we had a few work through the decoys finally had one pair that you know they circled a couple times they were nervous but they finally came through close enough that uh, I went ahead and shot one. And, you know, it would have been great to get a double, but you were just kind of waiting on me. And then the other one, it was, I'm going to guess it was probably out to seven, 800 yards away. And you thought, you know what, let me see if I can call this thing back. They were paired up like that. And, you know, you started singing the song and, and he liked it and didn't, you know, turn right around and come right back in. He still circled a couple times, but uh, you talked him back into it. And uh, so that was pretty special to me to, to, you know, it wasn't like we doubled immediately. To me, it was even better that, you know, I shot one, the other one got away, you coaxed him back into it. And uh, so we had two great, big, mature, beautiful trophy swans right together within a matter of about five minutes. You know, and the one thing about that is, you know, the key word that you just said was trophy swans, right? You and I had, had made a pack uh, years back, actually, swan hunting that 
it was going to be fully plumed mature swan or or nothing and we could we could revisit you know at another time or later on in the show about you know uh two years before when we were going after the swans but you're exactly right we i don't i don't know if we went out there a hundred times would we be able to number one have that scenario because it was special and and not only did we end up getting both it was how we got them both it was how fantastic the blind work worked for us we built the blind you know all of that was picture perfect and it was fantastic but to get two fully mature swans day one it was great talk a little bit about after we got the swans where we went from there well we were happy with everything that went on it was just you know like you said, it doesn't matter how many we've done before, how many we do after that's, that's one you'll never forget. So we were, you know, kind of reveling in the glory and just, you know, living it up. And so we decided, all right, let's, let's pick up this spread. We'll get everything loaded in the sleds. And it was, it was kind of like on a big game hunt, you know, the, the walk out, you know, when you've got a set of Rams horns on your backpack, it doesn't matter how far it is. It's just kind of, you're just kind of floating. Everything is just, that's how that pack out was because for the guys that haven't been there, it's, it's not like walking on a sidewalk. You're in knee deep mud. You're fighting for every step. It's, you know, it's a battle, but we were loving it because we had the sleds with all the decoys, two great big swans on there. And by the time we made it back to the truck, we realized, you know, we did exactly what we hoped in that, we can drive right to the office now, get these swans checked in with the biologist and be swan hunting again the next day. Um, Kind of a neat story on that is when we got to town with the swans, the biologist was actually still at lunch. We had to stand in the parking lot for a little bit. And a young lady showed up who was in, you know, there to do the same thing. She had taken a swan that morning hunting with her dad, her first swan, and, you know, just a real nice, it was, it was great to get to talk with her for a few minutes, just, you know, kind of hearing her story about her first hunt and being with her dad. And, and she just, she loved it. You could tell talking with her for a couple of minutes that she was, you know, for life. Yeah, no, that was, that was super cool. There, there was no doubt about that. And she was, she was stoked. Matter of fact, as I, you know, I kind of thought about that a little bit and I had remembered when we were out there. And I can't remember if we were launching the boat or we were going to launch the boat or sleds or whatever, but I, you and I went back and forth and did, and we weren't a hundred percent sure, but we saw what appeared to be like a, a, a daughter and dad going out there. And, and I remember you and I talking about it and chopping it up going, I kind of think that was her. And you said, yeah, I think that was her and this and that. But at the end of the day, we were gentlemen we let her check her swan in first and, and kind of, you know, as old, old waterfowlers. And, um, it was, it was super, uh, a, a really great moment for both me and, and, uh, and you, but, but moving forward, talk to me a little bit about what happened after that. Well, we, we pulled out of there and it's funny. I didn't remember that until you just talked about being gentlemen, but, uh, we walked in and, the lady said, you know, who's, who's first put a swan up here. And, and she said, no, no, they were here before me. We let her go. And, and I don't know if you noticed that, uh, 
the biologist lady, she was very impressed that we did that. She was, you know, she was, I don't want to say she was grumpy, but it's kind of like, okay, here, I just get back from lunch. And before I can even take a breath, there's three people standing at the door with swans to check in. Um, but she liked that. You could tell she was very friendly after that, that, you know, here, not only how cool is it that this young lady's got her first swan, but we were, we were kind of building her up, making a big deal out of it, which it is to me. I mean, we've talked a lot about that on how swans are just different. I mean, duck hunting is cool. Goose hunting is cool. You're generally getting more than one. We can go into that later, but a swan is, is more like a deer. I mean, it's a, it's a special, that one bird. But anyway, to answer your question, we pulled out of there just, you know, can be. We start rolling back to your house, and it's it's only just past lunchtime. And I don't know why we didn't think about it, but all of a sudden you slammed on the brakes and said, what are we doing? You remember that place where, as we were swan hunting, we looked over there and all those green-winged teal were bombing into that spot. Why don't we turn around and go set up for an afternoon hunt? I, I said, I like the way you're thinking. And, you know, five minutes later, we had turned around and we're, we're headed back in. Right. And you know what? <clears throat> Since you're bringing that up, uh, there's there's one thing I want to bring up in this story. And... We were going to have to get in the boat. Now, we did our sled hunting, but now it's going to be your maiden voyage in the boat that we call the Crystal. And just a little short history on the Crystal was due to the fact of my injury, two things. Number one, you somewhat convinced me, hey, dude, you need a project because if you don't have a project, you're going to go ballistic. So I thought about it. You were right. And lo and behold, the project was, I'm going to go ahead and buy a boat and get it fixed up, get a blind on it, you know, so a half handicapped guy can go out and be able to hunt this season. Um, because like you said, I mean, swan hunting's like no other in my mind. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that have done it. If you haven't done it, you need to do it. But it's special. I mean, and it feels like, you know, a big deer or a big sheep or, you know, I mean, it's, it's that big. So at the end of the day, I, you know, I probably was calling you at least 90 times. I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration, but at least 10 times a day and, and kind of just chopping it up with you and saying, Bill, what do you think? You know, how should we do this blind? I got to keep it light. There were all of these things. So somewhat put a plan together, build it, built it all. It was ready, done. I'm sending you pictures and reality set in and you go ahead and take it from there. And well, give I, me I think your... that the boat backing up a little bit, the boat served two purposes. One, you're having surgery, pretty major surgery. Uh, you know, you're a tough guy. So, you're, you know, we've got it in our head that you're going to recover right away. It turned out, you know, not so much. So it did It did two things. One, you didn't know what kind of shape you were going to be in trudging through that mud like we normally do. So a boat gave us another option, you know, gave us access to other places. Uh, it did that. But to me, the more important thing that the boat provided, the project, was, you know, I know you. You're, you're always working. You've always got three plans going at the same time. For you to just be pretty well broken down with recovering from that surgery. I knew you were going to go crazy. You had to have a project. You can get out there and work on this boat. And to me, I mean, you did a lot of things to the boat and the motor, but really the big project to me was the blind. We thought we had a plan. It all looked really good on paper. 
we did have a good plan once we thought we were finished if the boat just stayed, you know, where it was. The, the problem was with the blind, with on and off transport, driving that thing down the highway, it wasn't going to work. So we went from, and I, I think you're being conservative by saying you only called me 90 times about the boat. I, I think my phone has 700 pictures of the boat, the blind on it. Um, but it, the way it ended up is we had to just start over. It, we couldn't fix it. It wasn't going to work. It was going to be a mess. It, it it had to be easy to set up, to get out there, you know, to tear it down. We got there. It just took doing it all wrong the first time and uh, starting over. But we, we got there, and, and you learned that from, you know, you had been hunting in it already, but that first afternoon for me with the Green Wing Teal Bonanza, um, it just showed. I mean, by you could talk about the results we had, but those those teal had no idea that we were sitting there in that boat. Yeah, you know, I'm going to touch on that just a little bit because it was it was apparent that we, if we were going to do the blind, I mean, hell, we're hiding a boat, right? So I remember when I got it all done, the actual finished product, and I took it out with a with a guy, uh, my, my friend Greg, who's known amongst the fellas as Greg the Misser. But, you know, every now and then, I guess you got to throw a guy under the bus. But we literally went out, and I called and told you this. I took the boat out, literally put it in the middle of this pond. And there were some tulies around, but I specifically went out in the middle just to see how the blind would work. And it worked. It worked really, really well. So getting back up to speed and talking about the, the teal get in. So it's your maiden voyage in the boat and it's a pretty, pretty good little, uh, ride out there. I mean, you, you, you're not there and you know, I got a little motor and it's a little boat and you know, a little 14 foot flat boat, right. With the, with the blind that you're, you're navigating for me because the sides are up and you're giving me go left, go right, go left. And it's a little canal. And anyway, so we get out there and we get, we get set up, um, and and as you said earlier in the, in the in the podcast, is that we had seen a bunch of birds going in there, um, but you and I have a rule that we do not shoot ducks when we're swan hunting. That's just our rule. Our focus is on swan hunting, and for for many many different reasons, we're you know we're not going to shoot them. I mean, swans only. So. Right now, we're, you know, our day went perfect. Everything's fantastic. We're set up. We're locked in. We get into our spot. And all of a sudden, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but literally a cloud of teal started to come. Now, I know there's some new listeners out here, but there are guys that have been doing this a long time and, and have experienced it. And if you haven't, I hope that you do, because as as the show's called the story, this is one hell of a story, because these birds started to come, and did they ever. But not to throw Bill under the bus, because that's not where we're at, but if you've ever hunted with a guy, now this guy's a professional, this is what he does, but if you've ever hunted with a guy that ethically in the group, you'll say, go ahead and take them. Trust me when I tell you, if you don't take him, he's going to take him. And his draw time 
reminds me of the Clint Eastwood days because this dude can draw and he's up quick. We know this. So, so I guess, you know, if you want to keep that nickname Clint Eastwood, because you said nobody uh, can give themselves their nickname, but let me tell you what, this guy, this kid, he can draw and, and he did, but it was beyond draw. He went ballistic. I'm looking at this guy the crazy thing is, as there were birds falling everywhere, and I'm saying to myself, this dude had a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip growing up because he dug in, okay? <laughs> birds are falling, Jack. All right, let me, let me break in and, and, and explain because this is not normal teal. I've never seen – I mean, we have very good teal hunting here in Texas. Uh, I hunt teal in Mexico. I've never seen it like this, where you can have it where it's bunch after bunch after bunch, and a bunch might be a dozen, it might be four, it might be 20. This was like Saskatchewan mallards in a pea field. This was, I would say, for a solid three, four, five minutes, it was hundreds of green-winged teal. They were balled up, and I, I've never seen anything like it. Like, I, I'm pretty sure... I had not shot a duck that morning, so the limit there is seven. And I'm pretty sure that within two or three minutes, well, I'm not pretty sure. I know that within two or three minutes, I had my seven teal. That's how many there were. And they wanted it. We were in exactly the place, you know, it's probably where we saw those birds feed that morning. We couldn't see direct line. We were kind of guessing because they were on the other side of the tulis. But we had the wind just right. We had the hide just right. The sun was a little bit in our eyes. Um, but it was early enough, you know, it was still early afternoon. It wasn't that late where the sun was right down low. And, uh, but anyway, it was, it was incredible. And, and to defend myself a little bit on the shooting fast thing, um, I called a shot. We freelance out in Saskatchewan every year and, you know, just invite buddies up there. And, and I always call the shot and I don't move. I'm not one of those guys that calls the shot. And when I say, take them, I'm already shooting my first bird. You know, most of the time we're sitting down in an A-frame. I don't move. I don't do anything until I say take them. But once I say take them, uh, it's it's time to go. If you want to sit and build a sandwich before you shoot, um, there's probably going to be a lot of birds falling by the time you get up. So that's just the way it is. An old man told me once in Mexico, he was a very fast shooter, and he told me, hey, you, you shoot fast or you shoot last. So I've always listened to that guy. Well, fair enough, but I did say you were ethical in when you're, you're calling your shot. Now, let's, let's bring it back just a second here. So now we got teal floating everywhere. You're done. I think I'm three short. Now, here's the thing. The average guy is just super, super happy. I mean, we got birds everywhere, this and that, but I'm short. But now I still got to get the rest of my birds, okay? Now, let me tell you something. He mentioned there's two, three hundred here, there, right? Well, he became commentary. Paul to the left, right there, right there. Paul to the right, Paul to the right, Paul. Jesus Christ, Paul. Yeah, no, oh, Paul to the right, right over your head. I said, oh my God, I almost called the cops. I had nine one pushed on the phone. He had one more digit to go, and that's 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 automatic right there. I'm not playing this dude. You know what? But here's the thing. And you, you hunters out there listen to this, and I hopefully you do because this is why we do it. It's passion at its best. I mean, the fact that you got a guy that's been hunting, well, two guys, been hunting all their lives, 
to be able to go to that level. There's no drug, there's no alcohol, there's nothing out there that can get you to this level. It was fantastic. It was a- absolutely, in my mind, you could not uh, have a more picture-perfect day of hunting. I, I mean, Bill, would you agree with that? It was. It was. It was just, and I, I'm not going to defend myself on, on what you just said because I did kind of lose it. I mean, I, I generally don't get that. I get, I get excited, but I don't, I don't lose it. And with, I was done. My gun was unloaded, and and you know, I was just keeping track because we had some wind where, you know, some of those teal were blowing away quite a ways. Um, I'm kind of paying attention to that, but it was just such a flurry of, you know, how those teal buzz through the decoys that, uh, I did lose a little bit there trying to. I was just trying to help you. Just trying to, you know, here on the left, you shoot these ones on the left. Well. It was kind of chaos because as I was watching the ones coming in from the left, you were shooting at the ones coming in from the right. So, uh, yeah, I lost it, but it was it was a good way to lose it. it was, that was sure a fun afternoon, and and to think that we were almost just going to go home from the swan hunt and not turn around and do that. Yeah, well, we always have a way to come to our senses. I mean, be, between the two of us, we somewhat can figure it out, right? It's like, hey, what the hell are we doing? I know the thing was though. It's funny you bring that up because the thing was is that. You know, our main goal, and there was a lot of buildup to this particular hunt this time for you to be here. And, and, and quite frankly, I was just happy to be able to do it. You know, I mean, granted, you know, I, I was doing some swan hunting before you got here, but just to be able to do it. It's a big deal for me to, for you to come out. It's, it's a big deal for you and, and, you know, how we are about swan hunting, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the day itself, and this is just day one. I mean, we still got days to go, but this is day yeah. one. So, so we come home, you know, I mean, couldn't be happier. Well, you know, there's one thing that I want you to, that I want everybody to know. First of all, let's not forget the photo shoot because I get yelled at. It doesn't matter what we're hunting. We could be hunting chicken hawks. And if you go with Bill and you take a bad picture you're going to be smoking cigarettes because you're stressing people out. And this guy, this guy, the thing is, is that something really special, and I'm talking about picture, pictures, happened. And, you know, maybe I should be bringing this up later on in the show, but I'll, I'm going to bring it up now. Bill took the time, and he does take fantastic pictures. They're great. And, and you know, it's all, I guess it's all about the memory. It's all about the story. But it is about the pictures, too. And although he gives me a lot of slack for my poor picture taking, he does do some fantastic pictures. And then moving forward, he, at the, you know, weeks and weeks went by and he's home. I get a, I get a, a, a book in the mail on, on, on the, this, the 2019, 2020 uh, swan season. And, once this podcast goes live in video, it will be part of the, the studio. So if you're listening and you remember this podcast, you'll you'll see it. And I, I really appreciated that, and, and the pictures were fantastic. So moving forward, Bill, let's talk about day two. Day two, also a great day of swan hunting, completely different from day one. How so? Um, you know, we're we're kind of building on – you're you're not just hunting. When you're sitting there watching, everything is is kind of a plan. You know, okay, these birds aren't going anywhere near us, but they're consistently going in there. Why are they going in there? How can we set up in there? 
you know, what's the weather going to be, you know, what's our wind tomorrow compared to the day, all, all the variables, things that we're thinking we can control. We're trying to make the best plan we can make because it's not easy. You know, people think, well, I'll just get a swan tag and roll out there and, and get a swan. It's, it's not, there's a lot that goes into being consistently successful. Uh, you know, and I'm not talking about past shooting swans. I'm talking about getting swans to try to land in your decoys. There's a lot to it and a lot out of your control. Well, the best plans we could, you know, hash up from the information we gathered the day before, day two, you know, day one, overcast, good wind, swans in the air everywhere. They fed heavy. They flew in the morning. They flew in the afternoon. They were flying through the middle of the day as good as it gets. Day two, we get set up based on the information from the day before. We think we're in the right spot. And it just doesn't happen. Hardly any wind, uh, bright, sunny sky. So at first we didn't panic. We thought, okay, this is one of those mornings where they don't get off the roost very early. So sit tight. They're coming. They're eventually going to fly. they got to eat. It's a nice day. No, not the case. They sat on the roost for the most part. I mean, we saw less than half a dozen swans and it was getting late in the morning. They're not going to fly. They're staying on the roost. Um, had some ducks blowing through, but you know, like you said before, it's a, it's a good rule. I don't know what other guys that swan hunt think. Maybe it's different in a different place, but to us, it's just not worth it. We're there for swans. Duck hunting is great, but you know, what's going to happen. You know, the duck, the swan thing can happen with the snap of the fingers. You don't want to be walking around out there picking up ducks changing decoys whatever you're doing and here comes that was your one chance for the day now on a good day you're gonna have more than one chance but this was a perfect example of not looking so good it's in the morning sun's pretty high in the sky and i looked over my left shoulder and probably 800 to a thousand yards away here's a lone big swamp and he's high up and he's traveling he's he's you know he can probably see our spread but he's going somewhere else you started doing your thing, talking to him, and he turned, as soon as he answered you and, and you guys started going back and forth, he turned 45 degrees, he was locked in, and he was high, he was very high and far out, but here he comes. There's no circling around, you know, he's coming. So we hunkered down, we're in a, another little, you know, two-lead grass blind that we built on on the edge, and here he comes. Now, with the little wind we've got, I'm thinking it's enough. He's kind of coming from behind my left shoulder, but he's going to have to square up. I don't think this thing's going to land coming sideways like he is. So I'm thinking, let him come, let him come, because he's probably going to swing out in front of us and turn and try to land straight to us. We didn't have a lot of wind, but we had enough, and it was you know straight from our back, that when he came in, I mean, I could have shot him at 40 or 30 or 20, but I was waiting for that because he wanted to land in the decoys. Let's see this swan turn and, you know, put his feet out and do it right. Well, he did just that. But by the time, you know, he was probably only three or four feet off the water when I shot and I paced it off when I walked out there to pick him up, he was only 12 yards in front of the blind. So to watch a giant swan do that, um, we've talked about it before, but the thing that always amazes me, uh, you know, it seems like we've, we've seen a lot of swans come and land in the decoys or, you know, come in and, and get shot. 
maybe it's different in other places. Maybe other swan hunters got a different experience. But to me, it always amazes me that such a big bird doesn't check up. They seem to fly full speed right until they land. And and he did just that where, you know, it, it went through my head that if he keeps going sideways like this, even though he's 12 yards away, I'm not just – if I hold right on this swan, I'm going to shoot behind him. That's how fast he's going, and he's only four feet off the water. That, to me, on many swan hunts we've done, that's that's something I'll never forget is, is watching those things just missile right into the landing that they don't – you know, you think such a big bird would have to check up. No, you know what? I, I agree with you. Actually, you know what? I would say, man, you know, this is my, uh, my opinion. You know, I've been hunting a long time, waterfowling a long time. And I would say I've seen more guys miss swans than than ducks and geese. And I think it's just for that exact reason of what you're saying, you know. But one of the one of the coolest things for me, because I was tagged out, you only had a tag on day two. And it was super cool because you know, I explained it that it was a you know super sunny day and it was so cool for me to be able to call that bird and watch the sun just beat off him and then him just do what he's doing. And like you said, he got there in a hurry and the old expression, he did it. Well, he did it. And, and then, you know, you cleaned it up, which was fantastic, which is day two. So I want to switch gears just a little bit because we still have another day of, of hunting that I want to revisit, but I want to talk a little bit about Saskatchewan, and the reason I want to bring it up, well, there's a couple of reasons that I, that I want to bring it up, but reason number one is, is uh, the season before this season, you and I had planned on, on going on a trip out there, and uh, my nephew drew a coveted elk tag in Nevada, so there was no way I could miss that, and, and I ended, ended up going on on that particular hunt so it didn't work and then we again planned it the next year thus the injury happened and i mean you know everybody knows how much i call bill so i'm calling him you know weekly and going i don't know man i don't know they keep telling me you know i can't walk i'm still on a scooter all of these things and i wasn't able to go but i want you to talk a little bit about saskatchewan and, and, and one of the things that I, I want you to talk a little bit about is how cool the people are there and, and your experience there. And, and also, I want to make sure that we bring up the stripping of my original nickname. So talk a little yeah, bit about that, that that's Bill. A, that's a good one. We'll, we'll get there. First, what you just said about, to me, I've been fortunate enough to, to travel. I've been in over 50 countries on six continents and, and done a lot of hunting you generally know you can go to big cities around that they're, you know, good and bad everywhere, but you get in the rural areas that you would really only be in those parts of the world. If you're a hunter, they're wonderful people. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're in the mountains in Siberia or, uh, you know, in the middle of, you know, equatorial Africa, it doesn't matter. Rural hunting people are, are generally great people. I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of them. The farmer in Saskatchewan, I mean, this one particular, Saskatchewan's a big place, one particular area we hunt. The farmers in that area are, without question, not even close second place, the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Um, 
they they think we're crazy. They're they're most of them, you know, they're hardworking farmers. They got work to do. They're not out there hunting, and they just kind of think we're crazy for doing what we do. I mean, we we freelance where, you know, we go up for a couple months. We go up all of September and all of October, and and we hit it hard. We take it seriously. I mean, it's it's the love of my life hunting in Saskatchewan. But so there's a lot of stories, but. On the on the not being able to make it for a couple of years in a row for various reasons, you don't need to worry about that because we're going to put a stop to that. I've talked to Riley and Travis. We're putting the band back together, and this September we will be all hunting in Saskatchewan. But uh, it's it's you know it's there's two big highlights of my year with waterfowl hunting, and well three that uh, if you add Argentina, which I was actually supposed to be on an airplane tonight which is not happening. Um, but Argentina, I love to be there every year, hunting swans with you in Nevada every year, and Saskatchewan. I mean, Saskatchewan, for the guys, there's, I know there's a lot of guys listening that have either freelanced up there by themselves or, or gone on a guided hunt up there. And it's just, you know, it's heaven. It's as good as it gets. Well, one thing I want to bring up, because you're painting this flowery picture about these nice people up there, but I want to make mention of one thing. I did happen to get a video during the time you were there of a foul-mouthed <laughs> farmer that lit into me because old Uncle Paul here suggested, why don't you guys go after the white devil, which I call the snow goose, and make a play on them. So why don't you I talk a little I bit about that? that. You know, we're we're going to meet her in September, and I don't know that you want to call her the foul-mouthed farmer to his, her face because you might get slugged in the mouth. Um, that, you know, that came about, that was the year you were hurt, and that came about because we got up there, and, and, you know, we were doing well. We were getting a lot of birds, and, you know, we had a lot of nice pictures. And generally in the afternoons when we'd be driving around scouting, the guys would hear me talking to you, you know, would be checking in and letting you know what's going on. But I wasn't sending you any pictures because I knew you were down and just, you know, dying that you couldn't be there. Uh, I, you know, I didn't want to rub it in, but it eventually got to, you know, no, you wanted to see, you know, we had a big day on snow. You want to see it. So I started sending pictures and it was a tough year. It wasn't as bad as the year before, but there were not, not a lot of juvies on the snow geese. And so when it was right, we hunted them, and some days it just paid off, I mean, big time. And and it's a lot of work. I mean, other days we'd set up for three hours. I remember the, the morning you are talking about the video. We set up for three hours, and we got four birds. That was it. They just didn't want to – it wasn't even that they didn't want us. They just moved. They, they stayed in the same field. They just moved 500 yards away from where they had been, you know, the afternoon before. Um, so we made that – that big effort and and the uh lady you referred to as the foul mouth farmer we had her make a video for you that because every time we'd send you pictures of specks and honkers and you know big mallard shoots you kept pushing us go hunt the white devil go hunt the white devil and we, we weren't really planning on doing that hunt that morning you shamed us into it so she she made a video for you that uh maybe one day you can get that video on your website because it's a it's a good one but there's a, it's there's a great classic. If, if if you want to get into the story about about that lady, um, her and her husband have become very dear friends of mine, and we'll be back up there uh, with them again in September. Um, it was kind of neat. We got permission. 
uh, they've got some, you know, wonderful country that's just full of waterfowl, and, and we got permission and did some hunting there. And uh, one night she said, uh, you know, I'm not a hunter. I don't shoot, but I've got to understand what makes you guys drive a big decoy trailer up here all the way from Texas and spend all this time and take it so seriously. And, you know, it's, it's gotta be a passion that, you know, she wanted to experience it. She didn't want to hunt, but she wanted to, to try and see what, you know, drove us like it does. And, uh, so the timing was perfect. I had a field not very far from their farm, a pea field that was just full of birds big variety of birds not just big numbers of one but there was everything that's up there was in this pea field and uh so i said why don't you meet me in the morning i'll have an a-frame set up in this pea field and we'll you know we'll put a spread out so she did that and the first five minutes she was just kind of soaking it in i was shooting some birds and it didn't take long and although she wasn't hunting uh she got right into it i mean she was right in the mode just like you and i would be of don't move. Here's some lessers coming on the left. Okay, there's big honkers out front. Okay, do we want to shoot into these 200 mallards because there's 300 behind them? I mean, it was just she was into it just like we were, and that that was the beginning of it. And although she may never actually sit in the blind with us with a gun, she hunts with us now. I mean, if we're going to go put white suits on and lay down in the middle of a pea field after we've set up decoys for three hours, she's right there, right there into it, just wanting those birds to finish just as bad as we are so that out of all the all the stories we could talk for days on saskatchewan stories but of all the stories that one will always be special to me that uh you know and and we've become great friends that i mean i keep in touch with them probably once a week we're texting or talking with each other and you know can't wait for the next season Uh, that's pretty neat for somebody that never hunted to not only go and do it and experience it but to to kind of get it, you know, to get it like we do and understand and, and want to continue. Right. Well, hey, look, I want to stay a little bit on Saskatchewan because just a little bit more. I want to get back into the stripping of the Goose Paul <laughs> nickname, which which I was called, I've been called it for, for many, many years. Matter of fact, I met you in the early 2000s at the SEI show um, looking to, to book a a black buck hunt. I wanted a world-class black buck and, and I was able to do that. And you, you helped me do that. My dad was there and, and we made some memories that, that I take with me, especially being with my dad, uh, you know, forever, but let's, let's get back a couple more steps. So when I received a glossy print poster in the mail of uh, 90 or a hundred geese that were taken, you know, a week before in Saskatchewan, um, all of a sudden you guys, uh, had a revolt and, uh, started lighting me up as far as the, the goose Paul name went. So talk a little bit about that and tell me how that went down. I know how it went down, but let our listeners know how it went down. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really willing to take a lot of blame for that. Um, the, the guys that I was freelancing with, uh, you know how it works. We're hunting in the morning. Uh, we get our spread picked up and, you know, trucks are scattered everywhere. We're trying to, you know, you're always scouting, trying to figure out where you're going to be the next day. Maybe you've got the next day set up, but so then you're taking advantage of scouting for the day after that. Um, one thing I've learned up there, as good as it is, it doesn't stay the same. 
those birds, you got new birds, you got birds leaving, you got, you know, conditions are changing. Yeah, there's that one pea field where, you know, a lot of peas got left in the field and that thing stays popular all the time, but it's it's evolving. You can't just sit on three-day-old information up there. It's It's got to be fresh. So the afternoons, you know, there's truckloads of guys driving. That's what we're doing. And a lot of those times I'd have you on speakerphone on the truck, you know, with you. And, yeah, I don't know what happened. You get in that long grind of just kind of being in zombie mode, and the guys did kind of turn on you. The, the Goose Paul nickname, uh, they said, well, you know, we got 74 this morning. How many did Goose Paul get? And this went on and on about we're getting geese every day, and, you know, what's what's Goose Paul doing? And where was he last year? I think he was Nevada Elk Paul the year before, so I'm not so sure. That's two years in a row in Saskatchewan. I'm not sure about this Goose Paul thing. So one day they – they put a committee together and had a vote. And uh, I think they told you there on, on speakerphone in the truck that, uh, that we could call you Elk Paul if you wanted, but uh, Goose Paul was gone and, and they were going to start calling me Goose Bill, which, you know, I'm not a nickname guy. I don't care. And luckily nobody's called me Goose Bill ever since. But uh, yeah, we, we kind of did strip your, I don't know about we, but they kind of did strip your nickname. But it, it ended up all right because not long after that, you know, I I think you should probably thank me instead of being mad at me because it made room for guys that you would take swan hunting laying the Don Swan on you. Yeah, I got to admit that Don Swan does have a nice flow to it. There's there's no doubt about it. But <laughs> but I I felt I felt like Piggy was in Lord of the Flies when you guys were on me, man, in the truck. <laughs> you ain't goosefall anymore. No big deal though, dog. I mean, everybody <laughs> read that book in school. That's me. Hey, for now on, maybe my nickname should be Piggy. All right, all good. So that's great. <laughs> so, so kind of moving forward, I want to get back to to us hunting here. You know, we 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 got a a, a pile of birds. We got swans. They're hanging in the garage, getting them ready so that we can cook them. But now we go to day three. And now day three, I mean, the swans are done. We, we, you and I, as far as I'm concerned, we didn't eat, our feet weren't even touching the ground. I mean, on day three, I kind of had a sense that, man, it worked. Because the one thing I want to say is, you know, as, as long as we've been friends, and we've had a good friendship over a, lo- a lot of years, there's this pressure that I have when you're involved when it comes to hunting, right? There's a, there's a standard that you set. The problem is, is I set that same standard for me. So now you've got two standards that are, you know, in the sky. And I don't want to disappoint you and you don't want to disappoint me. And we'll touch on that a little later when we start talking about Texas. But it's like there's a lot of pressure, not only the pressure we bring on ourselves or I bring on on me, but we both want to succeed, and 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 we did. And going into to day three, I think I even took a little more time making the honey tea because that's kind of been a tradition in the morning before before we leave. I think I gave you two bags of green teas, matter of fact, that day because I was I was feeling good about myself, uh, and 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 really looking forward to kind of just cruising into day three and, you know, however it went down, it, it went down. Talk a little bit about that. I, I you know, and, 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 and then we'll go on from there. 
No, I, I think you nailed it because everything was a bonus from, from that point on. We were, you know, we were high stepping on, uh, on day three, but on the T thing, I'll, I'll get to the duck hunt we did on day three. Cause it was memorable. It, you know, the hits just kept on coming. Um, you bring up the, the, the honey tea thing. I'm sure all these guys listening, they've got their go-to, you know, wake up juice. Um, we got to mention quickly the, the aloe water. I, I had never heard of such a thing. We got on one of those grinds in Saskatchewan where you just, you know, you're sleeping three hours a night and it's, you know, you're just going. The guys that are listening that have done it understand that, you know, you can do it for a few days. Once you keep going, we're, you know, we're not taking days off. You're hunting, you're scouting, you're hunting very little else. And so I was, it was midday. We picked up a spread. We're making the plan of getting in the trucks and scouting. And I just kind of hit the wall. I was in zombie mode and a a buddy of mine reached into his cooler and pulled out this funny looking green jug. And he said, here, have a hit on that aloe water there and everything will be all right. And so we, we've used that a lot since the the guys that have used it are laughing right now because they know, uh, you know, it sounds like this healthy, you know, you got to go to the health food store to get this aloe water. Don't be fooled. It's I'm pretty sure the engineer sat down and figured out the maximum number of grams of sugar they could fit into a bottle and uh i don't know it may take years off your life but when you hit the wall or you need to get up for another waterfowl hunt give it a try you won't uh you won't regret it hey well look maybe we can get the aloe water for a a show sponsor but ever since i've taken the aloe water because you so kindly introduced me to it I know all of you guys have seen on TV now you can buy that little EKG and you can check it in 20 seconds. Well, I have one now. I had one capful of that damn water and my heart's still not beating right. So thanks for that, man, because that, that, that little instrument cost me about 300 bucks, but whatever. Good yeah. deal. So let's right, get back so, to that so day, third, third morning. Day three. Yeah. yeah, day three, we're, again, kind of going off the information you're gathering. I mean, you're hunting and you're sitting there, but you're you're kind of always working, too, when you're – you're doing a, you're watching, okay, what's going on? What's giving me information to make the, the next plan? Um, because this is, you know, we're hunting on public land. These are pressured birds. They're, you know, unfortunately hunted a lot by guys that are not very serious waterfowl hunters that are, you know, I don't want to get into negatives, but doing things that are, you know, not the best for pressure and birds. And so you, you gotta, you gotta do it right. And so we had, you know, gathered all that information from the previous two days it was pretty clear to both of us where we needed to be for the best chance at, you know, good numbers of ducks. And a lot of those places were pretty much teal only. Uh, this was a place that we'd seen some bigger ducks going into. There'd been some mallards in there. Uh, so we went in kind of the same deal, bury ourselves in the tuileys, make a little tule blind. We actually, to try and take advantage of two spots, we were about 20 yards away from each other, uh, kind of with our back to each other. And, uh, my little hole filled up with teal pretty fast. So I think I only had one duck to go. Uh, I know I tried a cinnamon teal that morning. That was, you know, pretty cool thing for me. Um, and I saw a duck coming from way off and he was high. He was, you know, when he passed me, I'm, I'm going to call him 50 to 60. Um, I pulled up on him. I may or may not have been able to hit him, but I, I decided not to shoot because although he was still high, he was actually going to come, 20 yards like we like him but he was going to go closer to you than me so I didn't shoot there wasn't a lot of time to think about everything I just said it just kind of happened where I pulled up on him but didn't pull the trigger 
now I wish I did. Um, he went right over you. You made a great shot and dumped him. He landed out where, you know, you'd probably have to walk 30 yards through mud up to your knee where you're fighting for every step. And, you know, you still recovering from your surgery. I ran over there and grabbed him. And, you know, the guys listening already know what's coming when I picked his leg up. You know, there was the bling. So you'd, you'd shot your not only a banded duck, but it was a banded gadwall, which we shoot a lot of gadwall down here in Texas. And I've never even heard of one being banded anywhere around me. So that was cool. Yeah. Well, and also, too, let's make mention that you have another friend that hunts out in that area, too. And you literally were getting calls weekly. And I was getting calls and pictures. So we know it was the truth. But if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I'm almost thinking he got nine banded birds this last season. I think. I know for sure um, it was seven. Yeah, I know for sure mm-hmm. it was seven. I don't know what he got after that. It, it, it could have been nine. But, yeah, he was – and not just all the same thing. I mean, he was getting variety. I think there was a couple honkers in there, and uh, I think a redhead or two. I mean, he, yeah, he had the season of all seasons. But it it sounds like, wow, what a lucky guy, and he and he is. But you got to remember that that guy's waterfowl hunting as much or more than than we are. So he's, you know, it didn't just happen that he hunted a couple times and got seven or eight bands. I'm not quite sure if that's possible, but I get you. He may have got one or two more days in. I'm with you. But at the end of the day, you and I both talked about it, man. And we're like, man, I hope we get a band. I mean, you know, uh, you know, your buddy's getting bands all the time. And, and, and it ended up working out. And we got a band and, and actually well, had that, a great funny shoot. Thing, I don't know if you remember, but as we were driving out that morning, I don't know if it was you, you or me, but we talked about it when you ended up shooting the band. That on the way out that morning, somebody said, you know, I feel like we're going to get a band today. Well, I say that every time. <laughs> I, say that, I say that every time. So it probably was me, but even if it was you, that's all good, dude, because I say that every time. I'm feeling like I'm getting a band today. You know what I mean? But no, 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 without a doubt. So that hunt was fantastic. But let's move forward to the afternoon because we get another wise idea. I mean, we already had on an unbelievable hunt and – Every day, fantastic. Couldn't couldn't paint a picture any better. But let's talk a little bit about that that evening and what our fantastic plan was and and what ended up happening. Well, the I think the way we ended up, I want to say, uh, I think all you had shot that morning was a mallard prior to the gadwall, and I think I had six teal. So for that, which by the way. Wait, which, by the way, that mallard's getting mounted because it's one of the nicest mallards I ever got. But go ahead. I agree. I remember that. I agree. Um, I I want to say I may be off one duck or two, but I want to say that you had five left on your limit and I only had one. So we could have packed it up and gone home. We decided, you know what, let's get in the crystal one more time. Uh, we went to another area. We launched the crystal. We get in, and it wasn't long. I mean, like, within three minutes of when we launched and now we're committed, we're going to go to another spot to see if we can get the last ducks for the afternoon. And the wind came out of nowhere. I mean, we went from a 10 mile an hour wind to, I don't know what that was, but I'm going to call it at least 40 miles an hour. And it wasn't a gust. It was steady 40 plus 
now we're out there getting to bigger, bigger water in Crystal, which I don't know if you'll have some pictures on there, but Crystal is, is not a big girl. And <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I, have to, I have to laugh at that, but we'll get to that later, but go ahead. <laughs> Well, now I'm I'm talking about the boat. I'm not I'm not talking about the lovely lady Crystal that uh, that I met in California. That uh, that's a whole other story of when you registered the boat and they gave you the registration number and there was an LC, and it just kind of jumped out at us that the boat had to be the Lucky Crystal. But uh, no, when I when I say she's not a big girl, I was talking about the vessel. And no, I'm with you. All right, all right, I'm with you. No, no, I'm with you. Let's get back to the. <laughs> we we had the blind up, so it was it's basically you had your little outboard cranked full bore, and we're hardly moving because the blind was acting <laughs> like a sail in that wind. And and the funny thing is, if if either one of us would have been alone, we'd have turned around and put the boat on the trailer. But neither one of us, you know, you talked about pressure before, but the other thing is, neither one of us wants to be the one that gives up in front of the other one, and we should not have been out there in that wind in that little boat. Um, we had our plan of where we were going, but in order to get around the corner, we were going to have to really go sideways to the wind. And I think we'd have been in trouble. So we're, neither one of us are wanting to say, you know, Hey, let's, let's throw in the towel. We got almost to the corner where we were going to have to turn and, and really turn things sideways. Um, and two little teal bombed into this corner, and it was like the only sheltered spot within 100 miles of us. And <laughs> yeah. immediately, we saw those two teal bomb in there, and we looked at each other and said, that looks like a great spot. Why don't we change the plan and hunt there? That's possible. So I'll, I'll let you take it from there, but that's, that's no. the way I remember it. No. no. Well, yeah, that is the way I remember until we got to that point. And, and you're right. We, we saw that spot. I turned that little nine horse and floored that bitch. I mean, we were on it getting to, we needed shelter. And the thing was, is we had to now somewhat go into the wind. So we started getting airborne and you're up at the front of the boat to keep the nose down. And I kind of felt like I was on the Marine world ski team. I mean, the boat was, it was the crystal was, you know, making magic. We were cutting it up. So we get to the spot and I'm just keeping the boat so we're where we could be. And we have these little pegs that we stake down the boat. And I'm sitting there barking orders at you. I'm, I got the motor floored and we're going nowhere. And I'm, you're trying to, to stake the boat and stick these, you know, I don't know, eight, eight foot poles in through the loop. And you're trying to, to, to get crystal stationed. And, and literally, I, I, tell me if I'm exaggerating. Were the poles bending? The poles were bending. Oh, yeah. Am I right? Yeah, it was. The poles were bending. Yeah. The poles. Yeah, I'm not talking talking about a little bit of breeze. I'm talking about serious (laughs) wind wanting to ruin our day. I'm soaking wet. I'm laying on my belly over the front of the boat, putting out decoys, getting the spuds in the mud, and (laughs) you're just sitting there back there high and dry barking orders at me. And, uh... (laughs) It wasn't good. If I'd have had a five-gallon bucket, I'd have filled it with water and made sure we were both uh, had plenty of cold water on us. Fair enough, but I I remember this like it was yesterday. You get the the front of the boat pegged, and we look off to our left, and here's two 
two or three or four birds just locked up and they're held up in the wind like we could almost reach out and grab them. I mean, that's how that it was. was so. It was the wind was so they wanted to be in our spread. We weren't set up. I don't think I even had shells in my gun. Um, no, you had you were still putting decoys out, and we and, and you you yeah. were literally still putting them out. But the the way that wind was this this will tell the guys how fast that wind was, and this was teal. They, I mean, there were some bigger ducks. I think we had a pair of mallards come in and do the same thing, but. They were literally just kiting it, just hovered right, I mean, 10 yards away from us over the spread. That's how fast the wind was. They were just doing the hover thing like the snow geese do when they come in. Plus, they didn't even care we were there. I mean, it was it was that bad a wind. I mean, as well, a matter of fact. That's the, that's the crystal. I mean, the crystal, the blind is so good on the crystal. You can have the crystal parked in your driveway, and you can't find it sometimes. I know. I'm still looking for it. But – but I'm with you. I, I, I'm with you. But remember, and I got pretty heavy weights on on the decoys. My decoys were blown in the middle of the into the middle of this, you know, pretty good sized lake, and they're yeah. blowing away. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm. I mean, we're going to have to navigate this this wind. But what I remembered, we got set up, and I think you got your bird. You limited out, and I think I might have got one or two, and. The wind kind of settled down, but our birds were drifting away, and we said, "Man, let's, I think let's call this and let's 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 wrap it up." And, well, I, think, I mean, it I took. Think a, if, if I remember right, I think what happened was it, there was a little bit of a lull for maybe ten minutes. It stayed at let's call it twenty miles an hour instead of forty, and we were both kind of nervous about what are we going to do getting back to the ramp. And so I think we kind of used that excuse of let's go pick up those birds over there before they get too far out of sight and uh, call it good, head for the house. And, and dude, they were out of sight too. I mean, they were out there, but we got them. It was all good. We got them. So yeah, we wrapped we got them. Yeah. So, so we wrapped it up. We wrapped that up. We get loaded up. We head back and we're going home and you're like, you know what? I'm almost thinking maybe we, we scratch tomorrow. We we need to do a, a duck popper fest and a swan fest cookout. That's kind of what we were thinking. Let's go to the store. Well, you insisted it was going to be you were going to be making poppers. That was your deal, which was yep. fantastic. It was it was it was fantastic. We we end up going to the store. We get the stuff and uh, fire the Traeger up. And I mean, just had, you know, meal or plenty. It was fantastic. And, 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 you know, we had, uh, we, we didn't mention this, but we, I, I want to say after, I don't know if it was day one with the two swans, I think we had cleaned them and put them in a marinade the night before. We, we did. We, we aged them. Yeah. And then we had, I know for at least one day before that last day when we had the feast, um, because I remember you uh, introduced me to that new marinade that's in that pouch. Um, we had those ready to go, but I remember we stopped there and thought, you know what, it's, it was, we almost took the position of we've milked this thing for everything it's going to give us. The hunt has been absolutely perfect. We have one more day left to hunt, but why not just end it on this you know, perfect note? I think part of that, too, was we were going to have big, like 50-mile-an-hour wind the next day, too. So we shut it off. We went and bought a bunch of peppers and, 
you know, got the jalapenos and cream cheese and bacon and all that good stuff. So we not only had the big, you know, breast pieces already marinated, but we had all the poppers from all the ducks and some of the swan meat. Um, the swan hunters that are listening to this know, um, you know, I've eaten a lot of different waterfowl. And I, I would say the only thing I've had better than swan is probably brant up there when you leave that, you know, fatty skin on the breast. Uh, rosy build in uh, Argentina are also excellent. I don't even know if they're that good. It's just the way they cook everything in Argentina is so good. Um, you know, they could probably take a coot and, and make it outstanding. But, uh, yeah, that was that was just kind of the big cap-off celebration of had the Traeger going, had the, you know, cooked to perfection swan breast, had the poppers, might have had an adult beverage or two. It was, you know, or the four. perfect ending to that to that trip yeah. or, or five and, and i think we should do a shout out to your buddy august uh, i mean he can't leave 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 him hanging yeah that's 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 a whole nother story the, the guys that don't know you you've got three awesome rottweilers and uh they, you know they're big dogs and they can be a little bit intimidating but old august who's you know uh, a big boy uh i sat down with a drink and having a popper and just you know living in the whole, you know, glory of the whole thing. And August decided he was going to take over, just jumped up on the couch and got right on my lap and looked at me like, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And I think 80% of his body was on your lap, by the way, but I think we were, I think, I think we, I think we were four deep on adult beverages. And at that point you just went, it's all good. Right. Allegedly. And I, I, I neither conform, confirm nor deny. Yeah. 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 Good point. Good point. Well, I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, we everything that we had talked about, everything that, that we were hoping, you know, being nervous, are the birds going to leave? They're here. They're gone. They're here. Everything. I mean, this was one of those magical moments. I mean, it just was. It's 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 again what this store, what this show is all about, right? It's it's not about bill or or myself getting on here and try and tell tell the listeners how to hunt everybody has their own style and everybody has their their own ways of doing things you know we do maybe our way works for us but doesn't work for somebody else and and vice versa but at the end of the day there was a saying that um a friend of bill's told him and i i i'm going to end this segment um as far as hunting here in nevada on i want bill to tell you what he had had told him regarding uh, stories. Oh, the the old this goes way back, but I I hunted in Africa with a guy who uh, had a buddy that this a long time ago. But they came out with that T-shirt that said, you know, the guy that dies with the most toys wins. And the guy he was so proud to show his friend that shirt, and uh, and his friend said, no, no, that's not it at all. He said, you know, toys are stuff. Anybody can buy toys. It's the guy that dies with the most stories because you got you got to earn a story, and uh, that always stuck with me. That's that's probably over 20 years ago. He told me that, and uh, it stuck with me because it's true, true. I mean, listen to the stories we've just shared just now. It's that's what it's all about. Yeah, and I agree totally. I mean, because it was we had high hopes though. Let me, you know what? Put it this way: you probably would be visiting me in a nut house had you not have come out and had such a successful hunt because I was borderline tipping the scale, um, you know, 
maybe trying to get a prescription of Prozac, something, because we needed to make it happen. And, 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 and we made it happen. It was fantastic. Now, moving forward, you, you had invited me to Texas uh, to come hunt with you and, and hunt deer. Um, you know, four or five years in a row, you're like, man, come, come hunt deer, come hunt deer. And, you know, I had hunted there with you years earlier. It had been a while since I'd been there, but, but, um, you know, you kept talking about it. And the, it, the interesting thing about hunting deer at the time that you wanted me to go actually was only a couple of weeks, um, after this particular hunt. If, if I, you know, it was the beginning of, of, uh, January and you were here, you know, if I'm not mistaken, right, right after Christmas, I think, I don't know. I'm, my memory's so bad. I don't know what I did yesterday, I think it was but at the end before. of, I think we were, you know, we were maybe three weeks in between. Yeah. Right. So three weeks out and, and, and that was the plan. And then the plan kind of changed a little bit and, um, you know, I agreed. I thought it'd be good. And, and, uh, I want, I want you to kind of talk about, you know, how the plan changed and then what we decided to do and, and kind of where we went with that. Well, it, 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 the plan always was, you know, uh, come down, you know, around New Year's. It's it's a little bit late for the peak of the rut on the whitetail, but down here, generally, it's never the same. But, you know, you kind of count on the later we get, the better we get for the ducks. And I knew we could get you a good deer, even if it was after the rut. Um I wanted to have a good duck hunt. You know, the plan was we're not even going to deer hunt in the mornings. We're going to concentrate on ducks in the morning. We're going to hunt deer in the afternoons. And then a, a good buddy of mine, a veterinarian from Michigan, called. He He's hunted down here a bunch and hunted all over. Really good guy that just, you know, one of those clients that, you know, he's not a client anymore. We come, become friends and we go on hunts together. Um, called me up, and, and he has been to Saskatchewan with me before. Mainly a big game hunter, but he kind of, you know, I kind of, I'm not saying he hadn't hunted waterfowl, but I kind of, you know, put the bug there to, to get him going. Now he's totally into it. And so he said, I've got a guy that, that brings his uh, labs to me. He, he's a vet. And that guy goes to Oklahoma every year. He's got this guy in Oklahoma that's just the best of the best. And, you know, he's, he's bringing his dogs and they're going to drive down and, you know, it's this yearly thing and he's got room because a couple guys backed out. So he was going to go and he said, I want you to go. And there's one more spot if you've got somebody. So I called you and I said, Hey, we're going to go do this honker thing, you know, in January in Oklahoma, why don't we tie it onto the Texas trip? Perfect. So we've got this plan for quite a while ahead of time that we're on this, you know, bang up honker hunt in Oklahoma. Um, I don't know if you want to start the story and take it from there, but uh, that's that's. I don't want to get negative on this podcast. That's probably the last good thing I can say about Oklahoma. Yeah, and you know what? I it, that's actually a good point. But you know, there's there's one thing I want to talk about about Oklahoma, and, and and to me, it was really really positive. We stayed at kind of like a B and B place in Oklahoma, and uh, the host there were some of the nicest people that, you know, that you could ever meet kind of, kind of, you know, kind of like your story with, with the people in Saskatchewan, these people were, they were just really, really nice. You know, uh, yep. we, you, you and I actually got there 
a whole bunch later than everybody else. You know, uh, I flew into the middle of Texas. You said, you need to fly in here because I could be driving four hours. And by the time I get to you, we're going to save four hours because I think we, you know, around 10 hours of driving to get there. But we get there a little late and, and the lady, I can't remember her name. I, I feel bad, but, but she had, uh, I think, chili waiting for us. Everybody else was drinking cocktails and done with what they were done. But she had, she had uh, cornbread, I think, and chili and, and, and carrot cake and the whole enchilada waiting when we got there hot. And, and that's basically how we got greeted from these folks when we were there. Now, well, let me let me jump back to these these fine fellows that go on this hunt every year that were friends with uh, Dr. Lanford, my buddy. Uh, the turn in what we had been built up of who these people are compared to who they ended up being, they all flew in together. Nobody drove. Nobody brought any labs. They all flew together, and they had one truck rented for the group. And Dr. Lanford's gun didn't show up. And the lady told him, I'm sorry, but there's another plane coming in an hour and a half, and your gun is on that plane. The normal thing would be, why don't you guys go get something to eat or, you know, do something. Go get your hunting license. Go get groceries. Go get, you know, whatever you got to do. An hour and a half is not a big deal to kill. They left him. They said, we're going to the lodge. See ya. Not knowing if he could rent a truck himself or what. They just got in and left. So... Yeah. That's the first part of, again, not wanting to go for a long time on negatives on this thing, but that, that shows you right off who we're dealing with now. Yeah, that's a arrived, good point. But the, you know, because we drove 10 hours. We, we got there a couple hours after everybody was already there. It was, you know, maybe 9 o'clock at night, and they didn't even greet us. They, oh, you know, hey, you're Dr. Lanford's friends that are hunting with us or nothing. We were just like the outcasts. Luckily, the, the silver lining was the host were, like you said, fantastic people. We ended up... Uh, Oh, you remember the the guy that we we nicknamed Stu, which I, I still don't think to this day he understands why we changed his name. But uh, um, he was a had a like a top fuel dragster, and so that was right up your alley talking racing with the guy. And uh, anyway, let's let's cut Oklahoma really short because it's negative. But the bottom line is we had our honker hunt taken away from us. I got plenty of ducks in Texas. I don't need to drive ten hours to Oklahoma to hunt ducks. And wait a minute. I got, morning, I, wait a minute. Wait one sec. I got to back up. I, 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 I don't want to dwell on Oklahoma, but I got to bring this one thing up because it was so memorable. I'm going to let you talk about it after I set it up because it was classic. You talked about the dragster guy. I, I did racing when I was, uh, you know, in my younger years and we hit it off. We had some mutual uh, acquaintances in the racing industry and and you and I had spent some time with him. He he was a super nice guy, but he kind of stayed out of the way. We it, it was it was brought up to us that the the whole B and B and the cooking it was her deal. He he, he told us yeah. that, and so he kind of yeah. he kind of kept himself you know, and not that he wasn't helpful by any means, but he kind of was doing his own thing, and he he told us it was her deal, which was great, but. Me, you, and him stayed up late. We we chopped it up and kind of established somewhat of a friendship. And this guy really warmed up to us. And and, oh, it took, and, it and took the, five minutes. Of, of, I think for me, as not a race car guy, sitting back watching the two of you, it was it was a little bit of a sizing each other up. 
And once you guys said, you know, he said, yeah, there was that guy out in California, that bald guy that was only five feet tall, but he weighed 400 pounds. And you went, well, that's got to be Chris. And he goes, yeah, Chris, you know, Chris. So you guys kind of, you were, you know, kind of had your shoulders up and were kind of, you know, who is this guy? Does he think he knows about racing? And then you both realized, hey, these are both the real deal. And it was cool. I mean, I'm not a race car guy, but it was interesting. It was, you know, a pretty genuine instant, you know, friendship with the guy. Anyway, the short story is the next morning we get put in this blind, an A-frame blind on the edge of a pothole, kind of like we do in Texas. And we thought, what in the world? This looks like a duck hunt, not a honker hunt. And I think there were seven of us in this A-frame. We thought, well, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's, you know, the mallards will come bomb in on us. And one of the assistant guides spilled the beans right off the bat. And he said, this is 10 minutes before legal shooting light. He's wanting to tell stories. And he said, yeah, when we hunted here yesterday, and I looked and I went, what? So not only were we not on our honker hunt, we're in a blind. They've probably been hunting for five days in a row. You know where that's going. We shot one mallard, and one guy shot one hen buffy on the water. I'm not sure why. Um, well, hold on now. Was wait, it. wait, right. Yeah, wait right there. You shot one mallard, seven guys in the blind. They said, take them. The bird was already down before anybody even got it. Do we need to? I, I didn't move. I didn't move until they called the shot. Do we need to go without back a doubt? To shoot faster shoot last. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think I think that you wanted to. I think it was uh, the fellow's name was Justin, if I'm not mistaken, about shooting quick. But yeah, I think we need to go to that. Yeah, I'll I'll come back. We'll talk about Saskatchewan at the end a little bit. I'll come around to Justin because you need to, Justin's a special guy. You need to have Justin on your podcast. It'll probably be the best podcast you ever do. I never met a more positive guy in my life. But let's let's wrap up Oklahoma so we can get the negative taste out of our mouth. So yeah, okay. I feel yeah. Well, okay. And right, we right. go back to camp now. We're thinking, you know, we're. I think you and I had said we'll give it one more try tomorrow and see if in the morning. Because I think we were scheduled to hunt four days. We'll hunt right. tomorrow morning, give them a chance to get us on a good honker hunt. You know, we don't know what happened today. Maybe there's a reason we you know, weren't in the honker field. And so Stu, the race car man, comes over and says, you know, guys, I don't want to get involved with the outfit or whatever, but you guys are really good guys, and I know you didn't have a good hunt this morning. I've got this pond over here that normally in the evening, you know, it's not a roost, but it's a little pond that they come and do a feed on in the afternoon. Let's go have a look at it. We drive over there. It's full of widgeon. I mean, there was, I don't know, 70 widgeon on it. Perfect. Let's go in there. So we set the whole deal up. The other crew had not spoken one word with the people from the B&B. Now, they're inviting us for an afternoon hunt on their land. We put it all together. I walked in there and figured out how we're going to make the blind. This is, you know, we had it all set up. We did everything. And once we got the old man involved, the guy that left Dr. Lanford at the airport, like a gentleman, he just took over, took over and started making all the rules. This is, this is how we're going to do it. This is where we are and all that. You and I looked at each other and said, well, you know, you can't fight with an old man. You lose either way. So we just backed off of it. They went on their deal, and it took us probably less than 10 minutes from saying – Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I got, I got to back you up. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but this has to be said. Stu, how he got the name Stu – after taking us to set up this hunt, takes us on a tour of the of, of the ranch. And he took us up yeah. to an oil well that he had, 
And he's like, hey, don't say nothing to my wife. And I'm like, well, you know what? You're Stu from here on out. That's how he got the name. Because <laughs> that was, we, get, yeah. we said, hey. We're like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Hey, okay. Yeah, we don't we we hear you. know you. We talk to Stu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Stu, right? I want you to talk about after Stu started driving us back to the house. And then we're going to – we'll drop Oklahoma after that. But you got to kind of – at least walk everybody through that drive back because that was historical. That was magic. Go ahead and tell about tell them about that. You better tell it because I don't even know where you're going with that. Okay, so 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 we're at the oil wells, and he says, "Hey, you guys mind if I drive you around the uh, another way?" So we're like, "Yeah," and and he was really fired up that we called him Stu, and and like Bill said, I'm I'm not really sure. He knows why we called him Stu because he's kind of this – I think the guy might have built the Hubble telescope and, and on his spare time uh, – No no question. Super mega engineer brain, you know. Yeah, super, and I think, I, think he, I think he designed the Honeywell or whatever it was, thermostat. He was telling us all of these things. But interesting enough, off we go. You know, we're wanting to go and hunt. We're all fired up because we're going to turn a bad into a good. That was our deal. But he decides he's taking us on the tour of the ranch. And he takes off. All of a sudden, the brakes hit. We're in the back. We're in the back. He jumps out. <laughs> hey, you guys see this road right here? Man, they come and give me rock and this and that. And wow. We're like, no shit. No, really? Yeah, wow, man. That's far out. And it, and and. and and you're sitting to the left of me, and you're like, oh, okay, right on. So Stu jumps back in the truck and puts her in gear, and off we go a little bit. We go down to the bottom. Man, he stops again. Hey, check this out. This, we're, this water right here feeds this, <laughs> and, 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 and a UFO landed here and left this park. Wow, no kidding. Right, I don't, I'm a little slow. I'm a little slow, but I know where you're going now is we're trying to rush this thing along to get in this hole for this afternoon duck hunt. The problem was by now the old man was in on the afternoon hunt. He jumped in the front of the truck with Stu. We were sitting in the bed of the truck, although the back seat was open because nobody wanted to be near the old know-it-all, and including Stu, who was driving. He could only take 30 seconds at a time up there with the guy, and he had to jump out and come back and talk to us. Dude, trust me, I'm still going to the chiropractor because of that. But we'll, we'll go. I mean, because, I mean, it, it was fantastic. I mean, this guy, this guy was fantastic. His wife was fantastic. And 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 we'll move the story, you know, forward now and and talk about we get back and take it from there. Well, it, it took us ten minutes from realizing we don't even want it. We set up this afternoon hunt, but we don't even want it now with this old guy and his crew. So we left them to do it. I looked over at you and said, you know what? It's whatever it was in the afternoon. If we jump in the truck right now and drive 10 hours back to my place, we can get two hours of sleep and we'll be in the duck blind and we'll do this right. And I, I'm pretty sure within 10 minutes that we had the truck loaded and we were on the road. Well, I think, I think when I looked at you and I said, Bill, are you serious? Because if you're serious, let's do this. And you go, let's go get our stuff. And as you said... Not only were we packed up, we were packed up professionally, paid the people for their hospitality, went and thanked them, and explained to them why we were leaving. They understood, and off we went. So, 10 hours, well, well the, the crazy the thing, of that, the, go ahead. No, sorry. The, the beauty of that ending is we called, we asked Dr. Lamford, hey, you want to go with us? 
and he was dying to, but he had a rental car and a plane going from Oklahoma City, so it didn't work for him. Uh, but we called him the next day, and we said, hey, did we blow it? Did they take you guys on a rock and honker hunt the next morning? He goes, not only did we not have a good hunt the next day, they didn't even take them hunting at all. <laughs> That's right. We would have, you so know, our, our four may... day Oklahoma goose fest turned into uh, one day, and I'm glad of it because we, you know, we turned the corner in Texas, that's for sure. Oh, no, without a doubt. You know, the funny thing was is that we we had the strategy that we could make it in 10 hours. If we got tired, we'd get a hotel and, and hunt in the morning. You were hell-bent on hunting in the morning, without a doubt. Now, here's something I need to bring up. So I want to get back to this Traeger thing and the swans and so – Several of the guys that I hunt with here, their wives are good cooks. And and one of the wives had made me uh, antelope and elk tamales. And I made uh, swan jerky um, and, and, and froze it, literally put it in my luggage. And I also made these stuffed buns without olives. And, and we... And I took don't, them on the trip, and I said, "Don't the smoked salmon." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the smoke. Let's just call it a goodie bag of fantastic stuff. And, and and so so I literally put it in my my luggage, and I said, "Bill, we're not even going to stop and eat. I'll have food waiting." So off we go. We get to where we're going. Now we're coming home, and he's like, "I got to stop and get gas." I said, "All right." I said, "Hey, you want?" You want some tamales? And, and you said, yeah, I want some tamales. I said, right on. So I go into this place, you know, and I fire up the tamales and get them all warmed up. You're loading up with gas, and we start driving. And, you know, I don't know what happened, but, like, maybe three minutes, four minutes were gone. And I looked over because I wanted a tamale. They were destroyed. There wasn't a tamale in sight, right? Not only was he date raping the salmon, I mean, this guy's eating salmon, and he's looking over at me. I bring my hands in because I'm like, I don't know if this is safe because this. I mean, this guy was. I, in his I didn't really do that on purpose because you you handed me a bag of hot tamales. I thought for sure you had a bag for yourself. It never crossed yeah. my mind that you know I was supposed we to know. share those tamales. <laughs> we know, we know. The good news is, is that you told me they were good. So no, I get it. No, I get it, but. But moving forward, man, we, we drive the – well, you drove the 10 hours, and I kept asking you, hey, man, you want a break? You want me to drive? No, 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 I like driving. I like driving. And, and uh, we well, get if, to if Texas. If it had been enough time that we were going to lose our duck hunt, it would have made sense to stop. But I knew – I kept watching, and I knew that not only would we make it, but we could probably get a two-hour nap before we jumped in the duck blind. And I think it was, I mean, as far as being accurate, I think you were accurate. We had about two, two hours. You know, the funny thing was is it wouldn't have mattered if I would have had four hours or five hours. I didn't sleep a wink because I was excited. Because just how you were uh, telling me uh, or how I was telling you about how the swans were and how the swan hunting was here, I was getting, you know, pictures on how the duck hunting and cranes and, and you know, how that was going your way. So I was super excited. Hey, I was super excited just to, to be, come, be coming back to the ranch and just kind of see how it evolved since I had been there last. But 
you know, B, knowing that we were going to get on some, some really good hunting. Um, and, and, and we did, you know, I mean, you want to, you know, talk about that, that first morning and, you know, kind of what our plan was and how that thing unfolded. Uh, yeah, the, we can the do first that morning. We got in an A-frame kind of like we do in Saskatchewan and, uh, you know, I could have permanent blinds, but I always want to be, you know, unless you've got a bunch of blinds around your tanks, you don't know with the wind. And so I either do layout blinds next to the to the tank or A-frames, and we jumped in one. And, uh, you know, it's six ducks in Texas, not seven, but uh, it didn't take us long. Um, and, and we had our 12 ducks. We saw some cranes that morning, but they were way off. And, and we were kind of in a spot where there's no reason for them to go there. We were in pretty thick brush in a, in a tank, not a very big stock tank. The cool thing there was, you know, it's normal for us to get a big variety. You know, if you shoot six ducks, it's very common to have five different species. Um, but the cool thing there is something that we have a fair amount of, but you can't count on it, is, and I think it was a first for you, um, you know, I've shot them on the ranch and I've shot them in, in Mexico, but... Uh, I think that was your first Mexican duck that morning, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. And the and the thing is, is that 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 uh, you know, hunting your ranch, um, you know, you've got all of these different tanks. But it, it was interesting and, and worth noting that it almost felt like to me that each tank was holding specific ducks, species of ducks. Um, I know that. Do, I know do, that. Do you get that because of depth? I definitely have some that are very deep that will be a lot more likely to have divers on them. And then I've got some where it may be a pretty big tank, but the deepest water in it might only be two feet. And there's where you're getting, you know, your teal and your pintails and stuff like that. Well, speaking about divers going to day two, let's talk about that diver duck hunt. That was unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah, that, that was one you talk about kind of like back to teal bonanza. You talk about one where 12 ducks are down, in I don't know I don't want to exaggerate were we done in four minutes four or five minutes matter of fact we should have renamed that diver duck bluebill swaggeddon or something like that because it it was pandemonium is what it was it was, As a it matter was of mostly fact, ringers you know we did have a couple of bluebills but I think it was mostly ringers but it was kind of one of those the problem I have on the ranch a lot of times is the ducks want to fly early if I'm on a tank that's got 40 ducks coming to it, they're on the same roost every night. The roosts are big, deep water. They're not feeding there. So, you know, they're on big water. They're like one of the roosts near me is 90 acres. And it's big, deep water managed for, you know, trophy bass fishing. And so they, they come off onto me. Let's say I know this tank consistently has 30 to 40 ducks on it every day. Well, once those 30, 40 arrive, it's not like a lot of places where you can just say, you know, let's wait till 10 o'clock in the morning. The ones that are coming there, they come, and the other ones have gone somewhere else, so it doesn't matter. So it's it's generally a pretty quick deal, and a lot of times it can be a problem because they come before legal shooting light, and then it just kind of turns into a jump shoot, which I'm not excited to do. So that can be a problem, especially when you've got big moon. That morning, I knew there were a bunch of divers in there. In fact, we had seen some, some redheads and a couple of cans in there the day before. They didn't show back up, or maybe they were going to, and we were already done. But I just remember us sitting there going, okay, one more minute, one more minute. And as soon as it turned legal, like the minute I put my phone down and said we're legal, it was just, you know, here they come, the ringers. And I just remember we stood up. I don't know that we even sat down after the first volley. We stood up, 
shot two or three each, reloaded, shot two or three each, and it was over. Yeah. And, I, I like, remember I remember looking... at one point into the second volley going, wait, 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 because there was ducks flying everywhere. And I, I remember specifically we counted them on the water like three or four times, you know, make sure. Okay, we're allowed one more. Okay, boom. You know, um, yeah, that was, I, I remember, that was pretty special. I remembered after that happened, I looked over to you, and this is a truth. This is dead on truth. I look over to you, and I could see smoke billowing out of your barrel, just kind of slowly coming out of your barrel. <laughs> and I look over at you, and you had this look of satisfaction like no other. Like now, what? What do you got to say now? And there, and 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 literally, we're counting. Well, we're done. You know, time for yeah. some more duck. Tom for some more duck, duck poppers, but look, we yeah. got to. So there, there's there's we, more there's more duck hunts to talk about, but our plan from the beginning was ducks and cranes in the mornings. Um, every now and then there's some specs around, but you can't really count on it. I don't have the ag to pull them in. Um, but that was the plan for the mornings. The afternoons were we're going to get serious about trying to kill a big deer, and the, the first time we sat. Uh, we saw a lot of deer, but we didn't see, you know, I wanted to get a good one, but we did have a great big bobcat walk right up to us. And I don't know if you want to tell that part or move right onto the deer, but uh, I know there's one less bobcat on the ranch now. One less big bobcat for sure. You know, one of the things I, yeah. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the deer, but I, I want, I want you to take, I mean, we got about 25 minutes left to go and I want to, I want to take, make sure we have a little bit of time to talk about uh, Justin. I want to give you some time to, to bring him up. But, you know, we, yeah, we could me, wrap it up, and, up. Give me a heads up when we got 10 minutes left, and I'll introduce Justin yeah. to you. Yeah, so, let's, so let's, let, let's, you know, talk about the deer. You know, we, we, I mean, I mean each, each day the duck hunts were fantastic. I mean, there, there was always something. And the thing was is that you were hell-bent. I mean, you were hell-bent on us limiting out every day. I mean, that, that it was obvious to me. Matter of fact, I had a bad wheel, and you literally even were marking the bad holes in the ground. Hey, watch that hole. Don't fall in that hole. And I'm limping around, you know, but you were hell-bent for us to, to get our limits every day. And I think we, we, we did that other – I think we were – one day we were short one bird. But, I mean – Well, I think one, we one could, bird each. One, there was one day where we got five each, and other than that, we, we had our limit. Yeah, like every day, and we could have went and got that that one bird, but it was it was fine. Number one, my leg needed a break, and and two, I mean, it was as good as it could gotten. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I I was so happy with just how it went. Um, but but going talking about the deer, I was super excited about it, and and you know. You had a plan. I remember you had a plan. We're going to hunt in this particular field, and then the wind switched, and you're like, "No, we're 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 going to switch that up. We're we're not going to we're not going to go there." So go ahead and talk about that. Well, we we got in the blind, and you know it was still early, and and you know I don't want to say hot. It was January, but you know it still can be pretty warm down here. Not not expecting, you know, two hours before the sun goes down to have, you know, bucks out walking around, certainly not big mature bucks. And I look, there's, there's a Sendero that goes up on a hill. You can see about 400 yards away before it turns into the brush. And just a buck just crossed. And it was one of those that, 
you could see I barely got the binoculars on it before it went in the brush on the other side, but you could tell this was a special deer. And I said, get your binoculars, get on that deer before he goes in the brush. And luckily what he did was as soon as he got to the brush, he stopped. And although the deer, you'd have never seen him if you just looked right then for the first time. But we knew where he was. So when you look with the binos, he was one yard into the brush just standing there looking back out at the Sendero. And you could tell, one of those picket fence bucks, you know, big, typical, not a bump on him. Um, he had one kind of half broken off brow time, but he was a, a typical seven by six. And I don't mean like a little cheater or a double brow. I mean, typical off the beam seven by six. I said, well, that's great that you got to see a deer like that. But one, that deer's only moving because he's probably going to get a drink. I know there's a pond right up there in front of him. Um, and there's no way he's coming here. You you will not see that deer, you know, come to us. Well, you know, good thing I was wrong because what was it, an hour later? That deer walked yeah, out probably. into the arrow right in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this so, is all I remember. Then, you know, go ahead, go ahead, guys. Go ahead. No, I, I'd say, you know, it's it's – I'll end with this because it's your story. You need to tell it. But um, I just remember that when he came out and he was clearly as big as he was, you moved right into the mode of, no, no, this is not the deer for me. I don't want to shoot this deer. This deer is too big. You know, hey, I appreciate it, but no. And then I'll I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, well, that's what I was just going to say. I, I, I just remember you going, get your gun up, you're shooting that deer, and don't even say a word. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> sure all right i didn't say a word right i was I, I i'm seeing this deer and the funny thing was is that i took i took a moment and i started kind of getting my breathing right because i didn't want to mess this up this is a deer of a lifetime for anybody i mean a deer is just unbelievable just a, if you were going to draw a picture of a perfect white tail this would be the picture you would draw without a doubt and so i started breathing getting my breathing good and he's coming and he's coming and you know and you're kind of help helping me you know get the gun right and you know can you see it this that and everything and and he he got pretty close he was maybe 100 105 yards something like that and i i I shot the buck and he didn't go too far he actually just kind of took off and maybe 20 steps and down he went and uh god darn we were so excited i was i was i was beside myself i mean because just just everything we had gone through in Oklahoma, the long drive, and it, it went from a, a negative to a positive, not just on the deer, but just the hunt in general. We had so much fun. Less the bull snake in the middle of the night that you failed to <laughs> tell me it's a winter time from walking to your house to the lodge with a bad wheel. Other than that, it was perfect. I mean, perfect. And I mean a big yeah. snake. But, and you do There's, have big you know, snakes, but... Yeah, luckily it wasn't a rattlesnake. We got plenty of those. But, you know, we could probably do a whole show on that Texas trip. But just to kind of wrap it up, another, you know, we got some cranes. We didn't really get into them like we wanted to, but, you know, we were pretty busy on other stuff. We did get some. Um, There's a hundred stories, but one that, that I think we have to tell is, you know, we're talking about we're into middle January by now. You and I have been hunting since September. We've done a lot of shooting and we're on, you know, the, the rust is long since gone. And if we're shooting at them, you know, not tooting our own horn, but we're, we're not missing very much. I and, was hoping we weren't going to get to this, but go ahead. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to have to do it. Um, it ahead. was, it was the last morning we set up on a tank and here come the ducks. They wanted it. They knew where they wanted to go feed. There was none of this circling around and having a look. It was just, 
they came up over the brush. We could see them from 200 yards, and here they come. And we were shooting them at 20 yards just straight into us wanting to land in the decoys. And I don't know how many we had left, not many. We had, you know, one or two ducks each left to go. And I remember there was a little lull in the action for a couple minutes, and, and we're staring forward there because they were all coming from the same place. And I said, Widgeon. And and they were good. It wasn't like they surprised us. or You can go through the whole book of excuses. There's none that apply here. We had it all figured out. Here's two Widgeon that are only 20 yards high. They come up over the brush. They're coming straight at us. There's no surprise. We see them from 50, 60-plus yards out. Okay, get ready. Here they come. You shoot the one on the right. I'll shoot the one on the left. They lock their wings. Here they come. They're doing the flutter float right over the top of the decoys, 12, 15 yards in front of us. There's no question that both these widgeon are going onto the water. We shot three times each. I don't know how. Still to this day, I wish I had it on video so I could maybe see where some wads were or something. But I don't think we even, not only did we not touch a feather, we didn't even come close to them. And as long as I hunt, I'll never understand what happened there. We, you know, we were on fire. We were making shots. If if we were shooting at a duck, we were getting it. And those two widgeon, I don't think it mattered if we had 10 guys in the blind, two widgeon, that was just their day. Well, I didn't take my rheumatism medicine that morning either. (laughs) And I don't even have rheumatism, but that's all right. It happens. It happens. Well, look, I want to, let's, let's revisit back. Uh, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Justin, and we got about 15 minutes. So, uh, Justin's you... a, a young man that, that I was introduced to uh, a couple of years back. He he had a pretty horrific hunting accident, and uh, I don't know whether he wants to get into that or not. We'll leave that up to him. But uh, it just kind of shows you how you know bad things can happen, and you can either let it ruin your life and get you down, or you can actually thrive probably beyond – what you would have if the accident hadn't happened. And I, I admit, I didn't know Justin before this happened. I got a phone call from a good buddy of mine that said, there's a close family friend of ours has had this accident. His son was actually there when it happened. Uh, there were several guys there that had, you know, extensive medical training that really saved his life. That's, you know, I'll let him tell that story if he wants, but it's, it's quite a story. Anyway, he, he ends up, uh, having a leg amputated in the hospital for a long time, just horrific ordeal. And he comes out of it. I, I'd have to go back and confirm. You can talk to him. But I, I think it was only within like 30 days after he was out of the hospital. And my good buddy calls me up and says, we got we to gotta get this kid back in the game. I mean, he's not a kid. I think he's around 25 years old. But, you know, to us, we call all those guys kids. Um, I said, whatever I can do, get him here. Let's go. So within 30 days of him getting out of the hospital, and, I mean, it wasn't like he was just there overnight, um, he's on the ranch with a hunting license in his pocket. It's, you know, way before prosthetic time, so he's on crutches. And, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there and let him tell the story if he wants to. But I, I think, let me just put it this way, the impression he made on me is he is without question the most positive person I've ever met in my life. It doesn't matter what happens, that guy's going to find the good in it. And uh, I hope he'll agree to be on your podcast because I think it's the best one you'll ever record. And I'll, you know, he'll hear this and and I'll ask him. And if he's not willing to do it, that's no big deal. But if he is, that's going to be one to uh, to darn sure tune in, tune in and and listen to. Yeah, I'm all for it. Although this was a really really good podcast too, but he, we're setting a high bar. 
But anyways, hey, Bill, thanks for your time, man. I enjoyed, you know, chopping it up. I'm hoping that the listeners enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it was a fantastic story, stories, everything that actually happened. Uh, it's kind of what this show's all based on, and, and I appreciate your time. And I know we talk, you know, almost daily, uh, you know, about our gardens and, and what have you. But uh, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it, and, and uh, we're going to keep in touch. And I'm hoping to have you back on the podcast. For sure, I mean, for sure, we got to, you know, uh, set this up and do a podcast when we're all together. Uh, as you say, bringing the band back together in Saskatchewan. So I'm looking forward to that. And Thanks again for your time. You bet. You bet. Have All a right, good one. Thanks. Yeah, bye.